I am so excited to introduce you today to our guest, Lauren, from the blog Chickpea and Herb. I thought I was pretty good at not having much kitchen waste, but as you will learn today, there are so many creative ways to use your fresh produce, store your fresh produce so it lasts longer, to use the stems and leaves of your veggies, and really, really reduce your food waste in the kitchen. I love all the tips that Lauren gives us today, and I know for myself that I can't wait to start implementing them. So let's go meet Lauren and learn together how to reduce food waste in the kitchen. That was It's so time to adapt to a plant-based palate, minimize waste, and respect our environment. Hello, we are Joe and Sarah Hayes, and we are the hosts of the Bowl of Life podcast, where we are encouraging you to join the plant-forward food movement. It's time for vegetables to move from the side of your plate to the center, and we are here each week to help you do that. So if increasing your vegetable consumption and limiting your animal proteins sounds like a win-win to you, go grab a spoon or fork and let's dive in to learning more about how you can be plant forward. Hello and welcome back once again to the Bowl of Life podcast. Today I'm excited to introduce you to Lauren. Waterman. Lauren is the founder of Chickpea and Herb and loves to encourage others in their newly found vegan lifestyle and even has a group on Facebook for swapping vegan recipes and getting advice all about living the vegan lifestyle. She is also a huge advocate for sustainability in all areas of your home and I wanted to bring her on today to talk about exactly that. We're going to talk all about reducing food waste in the kitchen, having a more sustainable kitchen, and she has some amazing amazing tips for us. So welcome, Lauren, to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, so where do you live? Tell me, tell me a little bit about yourself. So I grew up in the Pocono Mountains, um, like in a really small town in the wilderness, <laughs> like no traffic lights, no sidewalks. It was pretty small. Um, I went to college in Philadelphia uh, where I met my then boyfriend, now husband, um, grad school in Maryland. And then after that, we came back here, settled down in Philly. Um, we lived in Philly for a handful of years and then just about a month ago, migrated out to the suburbs. So now I have lots of land for a garden, which is the dream. And now my three kitties have lots of space for themselves. Um, so they're pretty happy too. <laughs> oh, that is so fun. So, wow. Is that like a huge change to go from like a small, rural area to a larger metro area because I kind of had the opposite. I went from like a metro area to a rural area and it was a transition for me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember I went vegan in grad school and I remember one of my supervisors at my clinical rotation was asking me, oh, like, have you been to the Whole Foods here yet? Is it the same as one in your town? And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. And, you know, I grew up with one little supermarket and going into Whole Foods the first time, my head was spinning. I was like, this is the real place. Like, I just was blown away. So, yes, very different. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're like, so many options here. Like, what? And I can just buy that? I don't have to, like, grow it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I had just been vegan. So, in my mind, it wasn't like, you know, you can still have cheese or yogurt or this or that. And, you know, then walking around, just a ton of things labeled plant-based. It was... um really a shock. I was like, I was pretty sure I was going to have to make everything out of like lentils. So, <laughs> you know, that is awesome. So how long have you been vegan plant-based? Um, eight years now, actually. So it has been a while and things have evolved so much since then too. Like in the beginning, 
there were, there was like one option for this, one option for that. And I was excited, you know, and I was making my own everything. I was making, you know, cheese out of cashews and nutritional yeast and things like that. And nobody wanted to eat it. They're all like, this is not good. <laughs> it is Aww. weird. Um, and, you know, come eight years into the future, here we are. And my vegan cheese has not gotten any better, but now there are store-bought options. So I have been able to pass that along to my husband and some friends. And, you know, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I, I will tell you, like, and I've only been plant-based for four years. And I will say, even in the last four years, I feel like it has exploded. Um, even at, um, so I live in a more rural area, but we do have a larger grocery store chain near us called Meyer. And I think like just like last month, maybe they got Miyoko's creamery cheese. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's exciting. I know every time I go home for the holidays or whatever, I try to make as much as I can in advance so I can bring it. But there's always like that handful of things where I let my mom know, hey, if you can pick this out and the other thing up from the store, that would be really helpful. And she always has to send me like a picture of the shelf. She's like, they have this or that you can choose, but that's it. <laughs> just still limited, but it's, you know, it is still growing. And I think the fact that even those handful of little things are in the small town supermarkets is a big step in the right direction. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. It's like definitely making it more accessible to everybody, which is so cool to see. So your blog also kind of helps propel that um, plant-based movement forward. Why, why did you start chickpea and herb? So I have... Uh, you know, I was, went vegan eight years ago and I think then a lot of people, you know, I was ready for it. I was, you know, I'd watch documentaries, I'd sampled the food, I just got it in my head and I was ready for it. But the people in your life maybe aren't as ready. They're like, well, where are we going to go out to eat now? What are you going to eat? Where do you get your protein? Like, there are just so many questions. Um, and so now I feel like I started that blog a few years ago, just to kind of show people, this is what I eat. It's not that different. You know, you can eat all the things you love. They just don't come from animals anymore. And that was, you know, in the beginning, it was kind of just a passion project. But now I've really come to enjoy showing people how to fully shift into the vegan lifestyle. The sustainability aspect is huge for me. And I do throw in some gardening in there when it's seasonal. So it's, you know, it started from a tiny little seed and it's kind of grown a lot since then. I'm really proud of it. Oh, such a great quote there. You started from a tiny little seed. I love that. It always shows that top of mind for you is is being outdoors and being in your garden and everything. And that's so cool. And you know, that is one of the top questions I feel like people get about the plant-based or vegan diet is, well, what do you eat? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, like, I think even my kids sometimes were like, we're like, well, well, what's vegan? And I'm like, the apple you're eating? Right. <laughs> have you heard of pasta? Have you tried bread? I know. It's like suddenly you put this label on the food and suddenly like everyone gets confused. Like, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so, so funny like that. But we are talking about sustainability today. And I wondered, you know, has that always been a, a passion of yours to, to kind of try to reduce your carbon footprint and be more sustainable? Yeah. So I remember being a kid and following my parents around the house, like, okay, you guys need to be better with this. Got to turn off the lights. Like, you know, things like that, just kind of scolding my parents because I cared so much about things like that. Um, my dad was a park ranger when I was a kid. So he so cool. really was into um, like just teaching us about wildlife, about like rock formations, about where these animals lived or taking care of the environment. 
And I think that I took what he taught me and I ran with it. (laughs) And then I was in college, I was in an honors program where we had more of like an atypical class setup. And, um, you know, we didn't really take any of the electives. And so one of the classes that we took was stewardship in the environment. And I remember when we started that class, they had like farmers come in and talk to us. We researched a lot of our food choices. We watched tons of documentaries. Um, We started making some of our own food. We read Animal Vegetable Miracle, things like that. Um, And I really just, it snowballed from there. And now it's part of the blog. It's part of my daily life. Like I, (laughs) I joke all the time that we still have the same bag or the same box of plastic bags that I had since college because we just don't use them. Like we have Tupperware, we, you know, buy about six rolls of paper towel for the whole year because we just use washcloths. Like, you know, there are so many little swaps and I think it's really important to let people know that being, you know, plant-based or taking care of the environment or using sustainable options isn't like super difficult or elitist. It's really accessible nowadays. Um, And it almost goes back to like our grandparents used rags and glass jars and things like that. So it's pretty doable. Yeah, that's a very good point that like we, you know, the whatever time period after maybe where our grandparents lived and suddenly, you know, the world kind of got used to all this like um, non-sustainable maybe items as we'll call them and things just rapidly changed. And, you know, I do love that movement back to to that. And I know for myself, just even like, you know, like you said, it became so much more accessible, like, um you know, and I love, I think I was in Boston. Oh, well, maybe it's been a year and a half ago now. And even initiatives like that, like where they make you pay for like a plastic bag or a straw or something like that. I just love to see that. That's so cool. How like the movement kind of back to that simpler, more, you know, it's just very cool to see those changes happening. Yeah. So you also had this great article along with the sustainable, um, living sustainably and, you know, maybe swapping out the washcloths for the paper towels about how, you know, going plant-based and suddenly you might have a lot more produce in your house. And so how we can be more sustainable with that and not go um, too far into like a lot of food waste. And did you, did you notice eight years ago that you had a lot of food waste? Is that kind of how these tips came about or... So when I started my plant-based journey, I was in grad school and was sharing my refrigerator with a roommate who wanted like nothing to do with the amount of veggies that I was buying. (laughs) I would visit my husband for the weekend uh, or my boyfriend at the time. And we'd stop at this like bulk produce place. It was like a big produce market that I, you know, is my favorite thing ever. He showed it to me right when I first became vegan and I just like was obsessed Um, So I'd come home from a visit with him with like bags and bags, like, you know, um, I'd have like five pounds of oranges or like, you know, 10, 15 potatoes and I'm one person. So I'd say to her, like, I'm happy to share and she's, she's good. She did her grocery shopping. So, you know, I'd have so much of this and only so much real estate in a shared fridge in a tiny little apartment. So, um, you know, I didn't really want anything to go to waste. And I think that is where a lot of these tips were born because, you know, you just learn how to, okay, I'm making a sauce. Maybe I'll put some veggies that don't necessarily belong in a sauce in there and then it tastes good. So I did it again. And, you know, it was kind of born from that and they've stuck around even now that I have a fridge all to myself. (laughs) 
That is so awesome. That's so cool. And uh, I definitely can get into the the buying too many veggies at like a produce place or in the summer. And I think we live in similar climates. And um, so summer is like the top of the, you know, cream of the crop type of thing. And uh, learning how to store your veggies from the summer is so important too. So let's dive into that. So your first tip in the article on the blog, which I'll link in the show notes, was storing um, your fresh produce properly so it lasts longer. And I think, you know, I'm always a fan of learning new tips on that. So what are your best tips on how we can properly store our fresh produce? So I think a lot of people want to put everything in the fridge and many things can go in the fridge, but then some things, you know, some as a gardener myself, I find myself with bushels and bushels of tomatoes in the summer and things like that. Um, so tomatoes are in the category of foods where they don't like cold weather. Their cell membranes break down if it gets too cold. So they actually rot quicker if you keep them in the fridge. So it's important to know things like asparagus, um, anything with a stem pretty much is similar to a cut flower where if you chop the bottom off a little bit, stick it in some cold water, it'll stay pretty good in the fridge uh, and it'll just soak that water up. And, you know, if it looks old, you can start to change it, um, just to keep it fresh. But yeah, things like potatoes, sweet potatoes, bananas, um, I keep those on the counter. Uh, You can even keep them in a basket, like in a pantry or closet. They'll stay pretty good in there. I actually suggest things like apples, oranges, berries. Um, You can refrigerate all of that. So lots of dinner items too. Like you can keep uh, carrots or onions in a, a root cellar. I don't have a root cellar. I'm not sure how many folks do anymore. So I do keep those things in the fridge. Or even if you have a garage that's kind of slightly below room temp, that's a good space for those as well. Yeah, I joke with my husband. That is the only thing I like about winter in Michigan is that I can store my vegetables in the in the in the garage without having to worry that they'll be too hot. Yeah, so we just moved and have a garage for the first time ever, and it is full of veggies right now. My husband keeps joking. He's like, "What are you going to do in the summer?" And I don't know yet. (laughs) Yeah, I've been trying to talk my husband into an extra fridge in the garage for years. So when we, yeah, when we moved in, our house came with one that was probably from 1970 and was kind of a hot mess. So we did swap that out just recently, and it's very exciting. Very oh, exciting. Yes, yeah, I'm having the best time with it. <laughs> oh man, yeah, in the summer when like produce is at its peak, you can definitely you know store it in the fridge. Um, that's so cool. But so onions, potatoes, those are best stored outside the fridge. And so you apples, you would refrigerate, huh? I do. I, you know, I keep a couple on the countertop, but things, I have like a rotating system. So like avocados, a good trick I've learned is that, um, whenever I buy them, we, you know, we buy them again, we still go to that same bulk produce place. So I'll buy like six or eight avocados at a time and I leave them out on the counter for a day or two until they get slightly soft and then put them in the fridge. And when you put them in the fridge after they've ripened just a little bit, it kind of freezes them in time. So then you can grab a perfectly ripe avocado at any time out of the fridge, which is a nice one. Um, but same with apples. So I might leave like one or two on the counter in my fruit basket, but more than that, I, you know, I'm not going to eat more than one or two apples in a day or two's time. So I might put another one or two out after that, um, as I eat them just to keep them from going bad quicker. Um, oh, the rotating that's a good one. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in, in terms of greens too. So we always have tons of like collards, kale, spinach, and in the garden, they once you once you plant them and they spring up for the first time, they are there all summer, and they wind up being like huge. Like my kale last year was bushy, like three four feet high of kale, 
Um, so when you when I bring that in, I don't wash it right away because I think sometimes the moisture is the detriment for a lot of these veggies. So I put them in a bag or even like a big Tupperware container with a few holes poked in so they can breathe a little bit but not be um, exposed to air. And then I put a rag in there or something like that to just absorb extra moisture. It really goes a long way. Oh, that's so good to hear your expertise on that. Because I've always wondered about that moisture thing. Actually, last summer, it was like a really humid day. And um, I think it might have been raining out and then it stopped. You know how like it'll stop and start, then it'll get real humid in the summer. And I went to the grocery store and like already I was kind of like, eek, all the veggies are like have this condensation on them. I don't think they're going to last long. And then I went home and guess what? Within a couple of days, like everything was going bad, which I hate to go to the store more than once a week. So I was like really like, oh, I knew this was going to happen. So yeah, you're right. Moisture is bad. So right. moisture is bad for things like that, like for greens, but then for things like asparagus with stems, moisture is the answer. Moisture keeps them fresh. So it's really knowing your veggies. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. Now, what about like, um, I've always wondered about green beans. Would you recommend putting like a little towel to absorb the moisture in those too? Yeah, anything. So if you buy produce in a little bag or it comes fresh from the garden, um, if it starts to get that condensation in there, yeah, I would just throw a rag in there and it can absorb uh, all the excess because that's where, you know, you might start to get things like the mold or mildew and you want to avoid that if you can. Oh, that's such a good tip. Yeah, I have more than once opened that bag of green beans um, from the store or not really bag, like put them, you know, in something. But and then, um, yeah, a few of them are a little moldy and you're kind of are slimy. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, man, like, it's <laughs> <laughs> that's always that's always a bummer. So your second tip was blenders. That blender food processor are great to use and maybe even great to use, maybe not for the green bean example. I'm not sure if I would, I don't know if I've ever heard of a green bean dip. Maybe you have, maybe you can enlighten me on that. So how, how do we use our blender and food processor to, to keep our food longer? So blenders and food processors, like if you're looking online, I feel like people are always giving those away. People are always upgrading and have a slightly older model. And I don't know about you, but I cruise Facebook marketplace pretty regularly and I've seen them on there for like five or 10 bucks. So I use my blender or my food processor all the time. I use it to make so many different things from dips to sauces. And, you know, the beauty of those things is that you don't really need beautifully, perfectly ripe produce to go in those. So if you're making like you know, hummus and you have some squash that you made for dinner the night before, some butternut squash, say, and you have leftover roasted squash, why not mix that into your hummus for an extra flavor, for some extra nutrients, and then it uses up the squash that you otherwise might not have had at home for. Um, I mix all kinds of things into my sauces too. Like my husband makes fun of me. It's like a game, like what is in this sauce tonight? So like a tomato sauce, for example, doesn't just have, like a marinara doesn't have to just have tomatoes in it. I might roast some carrots or eggplant, who knows, and just blend it right in. Nobody knows and you get so many extra nutrients. Uh, that's such a good tip. And especially especially any moms out there who are worried about like their kids maybe getting some extra veggies. It's a perfect sneaky way. And I don't feel bad about doing that at all with my kids. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I do it to my husband. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So it's husband proof and kid proof to make 
veggie sauces and dips. And I love your tip on using the squash and hummus. I have never done that before. And that sounds so fabulous. Do you have a good recipe on your website? I do. So I have a, a plain hummus, like a classic hummus recipe on there. And then I just note that you can roast any veggie and toss it in. So I make beet hummus, cauliflower hummus. I have a white bean and cauliflower hummus recipe on the site. People can check out if they're interested. Um, so yeah, really any veggie. I You can do peas in a hummus. Like, why not? That's so cool. And, you know, I wouldn't have ever thought to put cauliflower in a hummus either. And that's a really genius thing because cauliflower really doesn't have any taste. No one's going to know. <laughs> yeah, cauliflower is a really perfect vehicle for all the spices and flavors that you want to impart onto it. And, you know, low carb too. It's pretty win-win. <laughs> right. Yeah. Very cool. So, okay. So speaking about the sauces a little bit more, do you need to have those veggies cooked before you put them into a sauce? Depends on the veggie. So things like tomatoes, I, I, you know, you can put in a couple raw things here and there, like a carrot wouldn't really hurt. You just have to blend it longer because it might add some texture otherwise. But I do, I roast cauliflower, I roast, uh, you know, a million different things and put them in the sauces. And the cauliflower actually is a really good tip to put in to make sauces creamier. So like an Alfredo sauce, you don't need all of the heavy cream that we're, we've grown to be associated with it. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that I hope people can hopefully pick up from the Instagram and the blog um, is that, you know, the saying, if it isn't broke, don't fix it, doesn't apply to food. You know, I think people get really fixated on, well, this is the recipe and things like uh, pesto come from like, you need the pine nuts, you need Parmesan cheese and you need basil and that's it. But why not add other greens or other nuts or other seeds? Like you can really just use what you have on hand and kind of be fluid with your cooking. And I think that's a huge tip that, you know, once I started my journey, I, you know, found some flexibility with and really took it, took off from there. Oh, I love that. I love how you reverse engineered that. If it's not broke, don't fix it. But guess what? Our food system is a little, it's a, it's broken. Okay. Like it's not a little broken. It is broken. (laughs) So let's definitely re, re, uh, engineer that to being more plant forward and getting those veggies from the side of the plate to the center, even if you have to mix it in with the dip, with the sauce, you know, whatever. With texture issues as well. Like if I know a ton of people, my mom included, she never really liked eating the veggies, but then once I started blending them into sauces, she was, she was like, okay, this is, this I can do. (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. My son, you know, and I would never categorize him as a texture issue, but he definitely is the kid that likes the more apple sauces and potatoes. And, you know, it's funny where you can pick things up. I would have never thought to put parsnip in potatoes, but he watched a Curious George episode when he was like a toddler and was like, can we put parsnips in potatoes? Because that's what they were doing on the episode. And I was like, well, heck yeah. <laughs> You're asking for more veggies. It will be done. <laughs> yeah. And so now he prefers it that way. And I know cauliflower and potatoes is, is another big thing as well. So just uh, creative ways to you know, incorporate more of those veggies in our food and our lifestyle is always beneficial. (laughs) So you also had a great idea on what to do with stems. And um, I know using like beet stems are are pretty popular, but are there other types of veggies that you, um, you know, you can get from either the store or your garden 
and you know you're discarding the leaves or the stems, but maybe we should be keeping those around more. So a lot of the stems have just as many nutrients as the root or the flower that we would be eating. So I use, I mean, and again, it all comes from my gardening. A lot of this was born out of necessity because to grow a head of cauliflower, it takes up so much space. The head of cauliflower might be six or eight inches around, but then the leaves might take up a foot or two on all sides because they just need so much sun to make that little veggie. So at the end of the day, when I harvest it and I have my little tiny head of cauliflower and then I have pounds of leaves, I hate to let them go to waste. So yeah, I do. I I use cauliflower stems, carrot stems, um, turnip greens, anything really. You can make salads out of the greens and pestos out of the stems is usually what I do. Um, and it's really easy to do it seasonally too. I don't know if you have gardeners listening to the podcast or even just people that are shopping at local farmers markets and find seasonal things like turnips, for example. What do you do with a turnip? Well, I mean, those stems are actually pretty sweet. Uh, so I always cut them up and make fruity salads in the summertime with like blueberries, strawberries, a little bit of vegan feta. There's really a lot of flexibility with that. Wow. Okay. So some of these ideas I would have never thought of, um, like with the cabbage or not cabbage leaves with the uh, cauliflower leaves. Um, that's a really, really good tip. So yeah. Wow. You're opening my mind to so, so much more. And also I may need to revisit having my husband work on doing a garden for us. I'm all about it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Luckily, you know, for a few years we had a really great local CSA near us and, um, that is kind of where I started to, to kind of see this like abundance of, of the kale and what do I do with the kale and learning some of um, these tricks, but not as many as you shared with me, which is amazing. Um, but now that the CSA has stopped, you know, I need to revisit having my husband do a garden. <laughs> I mean, I highly recommend it. It's my favorite thing. I've had a garden since I was a preteen. Uh, and now it's like the reason that we moved out to the suburbs pretty much was I just needed land. Um, but yeah, all of these veggies that we're mentioning have so many uses. And I think that is one of the things like people kind of get in their head, like, okay, I grew up eating this veggie steamed or broiled or whatever, and that's the way to do it. But there's really endless ways to make each and every vegetable. So we use kale a lot, um, like instead of rice. So if we're making a stir fry, instead of adding in rice, we might put kale in at the last minute, things like that. But um, seasonally, all those stems and greens we use for different pestos that change as the seasons change. So like in the springtime when we grow peas and we pick the peas, we use the pea leaves for a pesto. And we might make that with like cashew or something instead of pine nuts just to, you know, it's whatever you have on hand. So I really recommend getting flexible and just trying different things until you find what you like. That is so cool. Okay, so what's like the weirdest pesto you've ever made? <laughs> that someone would be like, you made pesto out of what? <laughs> that is, that's a good question. Um, I think the pea leaves are a good one. I think carrot stems. Carrot stems kind of give like an earthy flavor. And so like we said earlier, it's usually pine nuts that we swap walnuts. Um, and it just makes it really earthy. And we put in some time and it was perfect for winter. Just all over anything, over gnocchi, over pasta as a spread on top of toast. Oh, that does sound so yummy. So, okay. So the pea, yeah, I would have never thought out of carrots or peas to do a pesto. So, well, <laughs> mind blown, mind blown here. So that is awesome. So your next tip you kind of had was not only can you use like your veggies and um, greens and everything like that in sauces and dips, but you can also use them for like breakfast items. So tell me about that. 
So a lot of times, um, you know, you have good intentions with the veggies or fruit that you buy, and then a few days go by, and slowly they start to maybe not look as optimal as they did. Um, so I like even just today, I had some blackberries in the fridge that I've been meaning to make a cake out of for a very long time. I just didn't get around to it. So I mixed them into my smoothie. And, you know, when you're going to grind something up into a smoothie or mash it into an oatmeal, it doesn't need to be beautiful. It doesn't need to be quite as plump and fresh as it was, you know, because you're not showing it off to anybody. You're not eating it for the texture. You're kind of eating it for the nutrients and to avoid the food waste. So I like to take my less pretty produce and sneak it into things like banana breads or, you know, any variety of smoothies, I think really does it justice. Yeah, smoothies, oatmeal, quick breads, muffins, Mm -hmm. any of those are good um, to put that in. And you could do, like in the summer, a lot of the times I will be on the lookout at, um, you know, people will do, and I don't know if in your area they do this, but like they'll just have little garden stands outside their houses, like because they had extra produce in their garden. But a lot of times they're just, um, you know, they're selling the nice stuff, but then they're just like giving away that zucchini that grew like a baseball bat. It like grew way too big. And I just love to shred those up and then um, in my food processor, throw them in the freezer and then throw them in a smoothie. Yeah, I do the same thing. And, you know, there's really, there's no end to the flexibility. And so I like to have a couple of different things that I consider my blank canvases. So like hummus is one, like I mentioned, I will roast any veggie and stick it in hummus. There is no end to the different hummuses that I make. Uh, Banana bread is my second one. So you can make I have a classic banana bread that I love to make. It's pretty simple. And then whatever produce is starting to look a little sad, like in the winter, maybe cranberries and orange. In the summer, maybe zucchini. And you can throw in some chocolate chips. Why not? You know? So I have just a handful of those things. Another one is like a pasta with just a basic sauce from like a little bit of oat milk or um, vegan butter. And then throw in all your extra veggies and let them wilt down. Um, And if you can master, I always tell people, if you can master a handful of couple, like just some basic recipes, you can jazz them up with whatever you have on hand. And I think that makes a big difference, A, in terms of enjoying your meals and finding different things to eat. uh, And then B, in terms of cutting down food waste. There's so many things that you can sneak in before they go bad. Oh, yeah, that is so true. And I love that, that start with these blank canvas of, you know, kind of these basic things that you know you already like. And, you know, start to add in some other things. And I think, you know, that takes also kind of that scary different food out of it when you start with, okay, well, I know I already like hummus. So that's check one. Now, like, what can I add to it? That would be kind of an adventure for me now. (laughs) And we always, and I always like taste test recipes before I really commit. So if I make a big batch of hummus, like I might puree. And again, I, as a vegan, I go through a lot of hummus. So I might use like a giant tub of it at a time and maybe in a little I might take like a half a cup out and puree in just a few pieces of roasted beets and garlic or cauliflower and see how that flavor and texture is and if I don't like it well okay I maybe just have that little half a cup to get through before I can eat the other hummus that I know I'll like so you don't have to go all or nothing you don't have to make a ton of it and be stuck with it but Try little things. And then if you do have that half a cup of hummus that has the beets or cauliflower and you're not sure about it, use it in other ways. Like maybe put it on a bagel with some, you know, veggies or proteins that you know you like. That way it's not the only thing you're eating, but it's just a little flavor mixed in. Okay. Wow. My mind is blown too. Like how did I never think just take a little bit and, you know, try it out and test it to see if you like it? I thought, wow. (laughs) 
That is such a genius tip there because, you know, or, you know, if you're testing something new out on your kids or something, just try the little bit before you commit to the whole thing. And then you won't feel like, well, nobody ate it and we're wasting it. And, you know, I often do say that too. I have to, you know, I've said that to my kids before, like, I'm sorry, but I already made this all. I don't care if you don't like it. We're already testing this out. So it's so smart just to test out a little bit because I don't think any of us want to feel any guilt about having to waste something because it didn't turn out the way we thought it was going to turn out. I made many tiny batches. (laughs) Ah, that's such a genius tip. I love it. I love it. So, um, I love this tip too. And I think people get a little scared about this because they don't know what can be what can be frozen versus what shouldn't be frozen. So what are some tips about that? Because that's also another good way to preserve your like fruits and vegetables, but that can be scary when, so when I was new to this, here's a story. So um, when I first met my husband, like um, his mom brought or yeah, when I met my husband, his mom brought over a bunch of fresh green beans from her garden and she's so excited to give them to me. And I was thinking, okay, like I know we had green beans growing up, but I don't know what my mom, you know, did with them or how, you know, I don't think she ever preserved them. We lived in Indianapolis. So we were in the middle of the city and, um, you know, I was like, I don't know what to do with these. And we didn't eat them right away because we were both on the go a lot. And I just threw them in the freezer without doing anything to them. And then later, let me tell you, those did not cook well. (laughs) So what are some tips on some prepping and freezing? Well, I think, I mean, it's funny that you bring up green beans because those are one of the things that I freeze, but it's, you have to really think about what you're going to do with stuff after you thaw it. So I wouldn't freeze green beans and then go to eat them in a raw, like, or like in a simple cook dish where they're the star, but maybe in something like a casserole. Like I just had a surplus of green beans and froze them and thawed them out just now before Thanksgiving. And I put them in a green bean casserole and they wound up being great because then they're kind of cooking for a slow, low, in a slow, low heat for a long time, absorbing all of the juices and flavors in the casserole. And they, they were good. They, it turned out really great. Um, but so the answer to your question is I think you can freeze everything. It's just a matter of how you freeze it. So things like berries and carrots, corn, spinach, broccoli, I just throw stuff like that straight into the freezer. I mean, think about the frozen veggie aisle. Think about all the things in the bags there. They are all like, you know, if you can find some corn in that bag, why not make it yourself? So if you buy a surplus in the summer when you have that good, fresh, sweet corn, just chop it off the cob. And I usually put things in glass containers and they're good to go. Other things can be frozen, but maybe need a little bit of prep work. So like bananas, I freeze bananas all the time. Um, I, the first couple of times I did it, I did not take the peel off and that was a hot mess. So I'm there like <laughs> microwaving bananas and like squeezing them out of the peels and like just trying to get them ready for, to make like scones or banana breads. Um, but I've learned if you freeze them without the peel, you can just pop them right in. They sit on your countertop for maybe a minute or two and they kind of thaw a little bit enough to go into whatever you're baking or smoothies you're making. Um, I like to cut up things like pineapples and coconuts and freeze a lot of those things without really too much prep work too. Um, I also do, oh, go ahead. Oh no. So I was going to ask, so like the corn and green beans, so you don't, so you don't blanch those before you freeze them. I don't, I usually don't. Um, but again, I think it depends how, like if they're fresh, like yours that you were using, what did you make with them? 
Yeah, I don't even remember. It was so long ago. I'm sure I probably just was like trying to steam them or something. (laughs) Yeah. So I think whenever we steam things or roast things that are coming out of the freezer, um, I don't know if the process works the same necessarily. So I don't I don't recommend that. But if you're going to do them in maybe like a soup or a casserole, something where they can really tenderize, I I would recommend that. I think that that's fine. Um, But no, I don't blanch them first. Label how you froze it maybe. Yeah. Um, when it comes to cer- certain items, so you kind of yeah. remember later. <laughs> yes, yeah, that would that would be helpful. Um, <laughs> I also freeze a lot of herbs. I, I meant to mention this earlier when I was talking about herbs because I think a lot of people really are wondering about that because they don't last that long uh, unless you take care of them very specifically. So a couple tips for herbs are they are like asparagus and that they have stems and you can keep them in a cup of water in the fridge and they'll stay better longer. Or you can opt to dry them. And then my final option is usually freeze them because I think dried herbs are super easy. They don't take a lot of space up. Um, I just like tie a little bit of twine around the bottom and hang them upside down for a few days, like on a cabinet knob or something. It doesn't take any equipment. It doesn't take any special space. Um, my last option for them is that I freeze them. So I might take them off the stem and mix them in with a little olive oil and put in a nice cube tray and then you can pop them out as you need them. Oh yeah. That, that's a great tip because I think, you know, everybody I think can agree that fresh herbs do taste better <laughs> in dishes. But like you said, I think um, people are hesitant a lot to buy them because they're like, well, I only need a tablespoon. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We rarely buy herbs, um, like dried herbs in the canisters. So we grow a lot in the summer and use them fresh and then have a big harvest. And I'm talking like I'm a big farmer, but I, this was while we lived in Philly with like a tiny little 10 foot backyard. Um, but some of the like sage bushes, rosemary bushes get huge and we would just cut them and hang like each stem upside down on a cabinet knob for a week or so. A, it makes your kitchen smell amazing. And then B, you have fresh herbs to last or dried herbs from the fresh locally grown good ones that last most of the winter. So that's a nice tip for them. Yeah, I need to do that with rosemary and thyme because those dried herbs are expensive at the grocery. Yeah, Yeah. and there's nothing better. They taste so good. That's Um, true. That's true. And right now I feel like, and I don't know if you've noticed this, maybe this is just in our area, but that spice aisle is pretty cleaned out. I don't know what's going on with spices. Yes. (laughs) I remember in the beginning of the pandemic, we were trying to buy uh, like garlic powder because we don't, we don't really, or at least in the city, I didn't have enough space to be growing and drying my own garlic. (laughs) That's maybe my next level homesteading dream for my retirement or something. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I was trying to buy garlic and they didn't have any except for like a five pound giant container. I think everybody looked at that and went, no way. And we're still working through that. I don't know how long I'll have that, but I was like, it's this or nothing. And I don't think I can live without garlic. (laughs) Yeah, no, I couldn't either. And I've had to just resort to buying the large containers on Amazon because I'm like, well, I really need this. Yes. Yeah. So that was a journey. Um, So the bulk buying has led to some creativity. Um, And then just one more thing in terms of freezing veggies. I think People need to be careful, too, with veggies that have a lot of water content. Um, So anything where you, like, cut it open and that water starts to bead inside. um, And and that is a lot of, like, fresh veggies that you get in the summertime. I'm thinking specifically of things like zucchini. Uh, I would cut that up and prepare that before freezing it. So I would not freeze slices of zucchini or cubed zucchini. I don't think it would last, and I don't think it would um, reheat very well. But I think if you turn that into a patty or a banana bread with zucchini in it or zucchini muffins and then froze those because you can freeze, you know, just anything that you find in the freezer aisle, you can freeze yourself. So I make a lot of falafels and sneak some veggies into them or whatever and then 
freeze those for a couple weeks at a time and use them when I'm ready. I think that's a good way to use up some extra veggies as well. Oh, yeah, that's a good tip. And there's another food that's good also that can be in the freezer using a lot of those veggies, the falafel. That's a, mm-hmm. definitely a good tip. And I, I'm the same way. I'm always like, or before we're like, well, obviously not traveling as much right now, but, um, you know, before you go on a big trip and you're looking in your fridge and you're like, well, I'm going to be gone for four days. Everything's going to be bad. And then I quickly think, okay, like how can I process everything quickly into something um to get it you know so it's not so i'm not wasting it and we've had some interesting stuff but it all seems to work out (laughs) yeah you know even there's always some stuff that's maybe not a hit and i won't make again but it's good that we tried (laughs) exactly right yeah for sure at least you can feel good like hey i didn't waste it so (laughs) so your last tip is you said your your favorite hack. And um, so, yeah. So tell us what your favorite hack on how to use different uh, leftover produce. So my favorite is homemade jam. And I think as soon as I say that, people kind of think like that sounds like a lot of work, uh, but it's not. Uh, it's so fun because you can be creative with it. My husband said that I could like end wars and solve disputes with, I made uh, just purely out of necessity, purely out of just what we had in the fridge, a strawberry and grape jam recently um, mm. that I think just, you know, people are either team strawberry jam or grape jam, but I mixed them and it was the best thing ever. And you can secretly sneak a couple of veggies into your jam if you have picky eaters. So oh. Homemade jams are super easy. I just throw my fruits into my bowl, maybe a little bit of water to boil them down. And chia seeds are a natural binder and also have like all of the amino acids that a vegan body needs that you might not find in vegan food. So they, I throw some chia seeds in, maybe a pinch of sugar or monk fruit or agave, whatever it is for sweetness. And that's it. It really boils down and I just keep it in a jar and it stays good for about a week or two, which is nice. Oh, that, that's a great tip. And so what kind of vegetables have you put in jam? I'm so curious. <laughs> <laughs> so things things that have a little bit of natural sweetness to them usually do well in my jam. So maybe a little bit of butternut squash or carrot or beet. Um, I just, you know, and not a ton, like you don't want it to be overpowering. But if you have like, you know, I, I so the one that I have on my blog that I mentioned, I, I had a couple apples left over. So I diced the outsides of the apples and threw that in. I had blackberries and lemon juice and just put a little bit of butternut squash and it made more of a like thick preserve. And it was delicious. And it didn't last long enough for me to worry if it was going to go bad because everybody ate it. It was great. Oh, that sounds so, so yummy. So um, for people that maybe don't, you know, like they think, oh, first of all, they think jam is hard to make, but then also they're like, but I don't eat a bunch of like sandwiches or, or toast. Like, do you have some creative ideas to use jam? Yes. I actually don't eat a ton of sandwiches either, but I love jam in baking. So one of the things, you know, when you're baking, it's really hard to watch how much sugar goes into stuff because you're looking at regular recipes online and it says a cup of sugar or two cups mm-hmm. of sugar. And Sometimes when I first started baking, I was like, okay, no problem. And I'm using it. And now I've come so far. I'm like, oh my gosh, do I need that much sugar in my life? Um, so I use jam as my natural uh, natural sweetener. So if you have like a go-to easy bread recipe, even a dinner bread recipe, like a classic wheat bread or a farmhouse bread, a lot of times when I'm rolling that out, I might just do a thin swipe of jam on top and roll it up so it comes out kind of like a babka or a sweet roll. Um, uh-huh. A lot of times I do like classic shortbread cookies and just do the, you know, the classic where you put the thumbprint in the middle and fill it with jam. They're so easy and it's homemade and you can watch how much sugar is in it, which I think is the best part. 
Oh, and just another way to cut down on food waste as well, because it's like, we well, already have this jam that you made. So think yeah. of some creative ways to use it. And I love that to use it in bread. And oh, mm-hmm. that's such a good genius hack. I love that. And like you said, jam, you know, people, I think, think of that. Oh, well, grandma maybe was in the kitchen forever making jam or whatever. And it's like, yeah, it's really it doesn't have to hard. be like that anymore. I'm not like canning it. I'm not adding in any preservatives. It's just, uh, I do. I also say micro batches are the best way to do this because you can do it with like one apple and a couple of berries, like whatever you have on hand that you think, oh, that doesn't look great. I don't really want to bite into that apple because maybe it did get a little softer or whatever. It's great to use enough, like make enough jam to get through a week or so. And again, and it's not just jams. I boil down things that you wouldn't think like to make sauces or dips too. So I make a lot of green goddess. And I say that with the air quotes that you can't see, but (laughs) green goddess dressing or dip. And I might put in whatever greens I have on hand. Like if I have an avocado that's not quite perfect or some chives or some other herbs, some spinach, basil, and just blend it all up with a little bit of maybe apple cider vinegar or mustard. There you go. That's a spread. That's a dip. It can go on sandwiches. It can go on pastas. So just, I think getting in the habit of micro batches of, you know, take a bunch of things that you have, mix them all together and use them in creative ways has been my number one tip. Micro batches. I love it because I think a lot of the times people do get that. They feel intimidated because they think, well, everything has got to be done in a big way, you know, but like, like you've pointed out, like, Hey, just test this out in a micro way or, you know, make this in a micro way. And I, and I love that. I think that's great. Um, and I don't think that comes to top of mind and, but hopefully, um, after people listen to this, it will be more top of mind to do that. Absolutely. And I think too, when you think about, like you said, grandma in the kitchen making jam, she's sitting there peeling like bushels of apples and making everything perfect. I eat the skins for most of my veggies too. So I might just throw the skin, like I might just chop the outsides off the apple and have four big pieces and throw that in the pot with a couple berries or whatever. Um, it doesn't have to be time consuming. I would do it even, you know, in the morning before work, like I just have 10 minutes and that's about how much time it takes. And then you have a fun homemade treat for yourself and you have, you know, no more food going bad in your fridge. Yeah. So it's like a win, win all around. And oh, these tips are so, so (laughs) great. So I know you have awesome stuff on your website. We've talked about a few things, but give us all the details on where people can find you on your website and um, on Instagram. And I I think you even have a really cool group people can be a part of on Facebook if you want to touch on that. Sure. So you can find me on Instagram at chickpea and herb uh, on I have my blog as well by the same title, chickpeanherb.com. And then on Facebook, we just launched this uh, about a couple months ago, and I'm super proud of it. It's it's still in the infant stages, but it's a great resource for anybody who is plant-based or is even just considering throwing in a meatless Monday here and there. It's the new vegan recipes and advice community. And I encourage food bloggers to get on there and share their recipes. And I encourage people who are considering being vegan or interested in plant-based to ask questions about restaurants in your area, about different um, personal care products, about, hey, I have all these flax seeds and I need a recipe for this. Um, And the food bloggers and the seasoned vegans that are in that group are so full of knowledge and just willing to share what they've learned. And they are at their keyboards ready to drop a link so you can figure some new stuff out and be exposed to all kinds of great new things. Um, I really recommend checking it out if you have interest in any of those areas. 
Oh, so cool. So we're going to link all that in the show notes. And definitely, if you are wondering how to use up any produce that's about to go bad, go to that Facebook group, make sure you tag Lauren and ask her, hey, what do I do about this? Because she is the queen of creativity. I think we have definitely determined that on today's podcast on how to use any and all type of produce that is about to go slightly bad. I think so. Yeah, I love it. I love it. This has been amazing, Lauren. Thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge about this with us today. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. That was so much fun with Lauren. I love learning new things. Like, love learning new things. And I think I'm most excited about her genius tip to just test a small batch of your new food creation before committing to the whole thing. Oh my gosh, I loved that tip. And then also her tips on slow cooking some of your frozen vegetables so you don't have to blanch them before freezing. That's going to save me so much time. And the stems and pesto, so many good tips. I'm so excited to test out all these new ideas. Can you tell? If you are like me and want to connect more with Lauren to see more of her awesome tips, head over to the show notes on our sponsored blog, badtothebowl.com forward slash 25. Again, that's badtothebowl.com forward slash 25. And get all our information. And while there, grab a free copy of our five plant-based meatless mains and try some of my family's favorites, vegan meals.